Let's talk about microdosing. You know that feeling when your body and mind are really at peace, like after a workout or a nice long shower, where you've relaxed, you're focused, and a little energized? It feels just right, like you're in the zone. Well, microdose can help you not only get into that zone easier, but stay there longer. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. I absolutely love how helpful these gummies are. For me, half a microdose gummy during the day helps me really stay centered and really fresh as I get everything done on my list. And they really help me relax in the evenings as well and just be present and in the moment instead of worrying about things from the day or what I have to do tomorrow. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code MinaAF for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. I'm Mina Starziak-Hawk, and this is Mina AF, where I answer all of your questions and you can ask me anything. Can we talk about money? Can you still breastfeed with implants? You're both boss moms, and I'd love to know the story of how you met. Literally anything any of you want to hear. Listen as we build a community and get to know each other better. Happy Tuesday, you guys. Today I wanted to talk in a little bit more depth about my fertility or lack thereof journey. I know I briefly summed it up in the Meet Mina episode, but today I really just thought I would share more about my experience with secondary infertility and what that whole journey looked like for me and Steve um, and Jack, because Jack was there for it. Uh, So I guess starting at the beginning, um, I knew I always wanted to have kids. And it wasn't something that I was like, I need to rush. I need to get married. I want to have kids now. I want to have kids young. I think I actually you know, thought I wanted to, to be a little bit older when I had kids, have a little bit more um, like of a stable financial situation. But by no means when Steve and I met and I was 28, did I think th- there was a clock ticking. You know, 28 is young, is healthy. Um, I've always been, you know, pretty healthy. So when we met, uh, one of the first questions, uh, you know, that I think a lot of people ask, and if it scares the other person off, you know, maybe they're not ready. I don't know. But was, you know, do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? How many kids do you want to have? Because I think particularly being, you know, rolling into my 30s, Steve was in his 30s. Um, you just kind of have those conversations a little more upfront to make sure you're on the same page. Uh, so we did talk about that. And I, you know, when I was younger, I grew up with seven siblings and I was like, I'm going to have a basketball team. It's going to be great. I love to have so many siblings. And then I think like every year I got older, like one fell off. I'd be like, maybe six, eh, maybe five. Dang. I mean, I'm, as I'm getting older, like these guys are kind of expensive, maybe four. And then, you know, I think, you know, we landed on two or three, something like that. So that that definitely was part of the conversation. And we got married and, you know, you have all these ideas of when we got engaged, I wanted so much time before we got engaged. And then we had a year-long engagement and then got married. And, you know, we were going to wait a certain amount of time to start trying. And we got married in 
June of 2016. And I feel like maybe I was like, okay, in December, I'll stop taking birth control. And, you know, a couple months in, I was like, you know what? Who knows how quickly this is going to happen? So let's just stop the birth control. Let's have some fun with it. And poor Steve, the fun was very short-lived because we got pregnant the first weekend. I think it was my birthday weekend in November. It was either his or mine because our birthdays are both in November. So I stopped my birth control in October, got pregnant in November, and uh, you know the trying part was done. And then I was into the first trimester and super nauseous and miserable. So Steve, um, he got robbed of his trying to get pregnant time. It, it happened very quickly, which was awesome because I don't, I, I like to be good at things. I want to be able to succeed and I succeeded. Okay. Day one, no birth control, pregnant, boom. I am the winner. I won this game. Um, and I, I didn't think twice about it. Didn't think twice about my age or, you know, any risk factors I might be getting into getting older. It just happened so easy. Um, and again, because I'm a control freak, as we all know, I, I wanted just to have a scheduled C-section, um, which apparently they let you do in Europe. Did not know that. We're a little different here in the Americas. Uh, it's frowned upon unless you have like a, a reason, which I totally get. I, I My reason wasn't, you know, I, want, I didn't want to ruin my vagina or anything like that. Like I didn't care about that. I just wanted to be able to schedule it because <laughs> my life's really busy. <laughs> Wanted my husband to be able to schedule time off work and me to be able to let the production team know baby is coming this day. I will need this many days off, which was like six days. Um, so my lovely OBGYN was like, well, we can't do that, but we can schedule um, inducing the labor. So, well, you know, I did that. And of course, that's my like life lesson karma scheduled to induce the labor went in um, and, you know, 36 hours later, I had an emergency C-section. <sighs> so that was a whole thing. But so, yeah, and, and that was Jack. And what Steve and I did talk about, not necessarily that Steve agreed with, but what he did because he loves me and he didn't disagree with it, I wanted to have the second baby before I knew better. That literally was what I said to him and anyone who asked. I don't want to get to where it's hard and I'm like, oh God, I don't want a second one right now. In the first like four months of a baby, not that they're easy, but they're easier. All they do is sleep, eat, and poop. So, you know, you get to sleep with them and you poop with them and you eat with them. It's, it's, it's a pretty simple existence until they start sleeping less. And that's when it gets really tough and you're like, okay, I'm going to hold off because I can only do this one kid at a time. So that was my goal get pregnant as quickly as possible, have these kids. I wanted Irish twins. I wanted them to be less than 12 months apart. So we started pretty much right after I was cleared to have sex again, which I think is like six weeks. And just, it just wasn't happening. And I think we had set this bar of being like the winner at getting pregnant with Jack. And so I did not give it a lot of time. I think a lot of people are like, okay, you know, whether you're religious, whether you're not, there's always a reason like, let me give my body time to acclimate or, you know, God's plan. It will, it will happen when it should. There's so many reasons or not reasons that people just don't take like active steps towards problem solving, which is a totally fine way to go as well. 
But again, me being me, I was like, okay, I need to find the problem and I need to fix it. So you do the simplest things first. Steve got his sperm tested, which by the way, super unsexy situation. We walk into the office and, uh, you know, they, they, they call, they, you go back to this room and the, the awkward first thing is like, he's like, well, can she come with me? Like, what's the situation? And they're like, yeah, she can go with you. You go in this room and it's legit a puppy pad, like on a recliner and a TV and like some, some, you know, periodicals that you can look at. But the puppy pad is really what got me. If you guys aren't familiar, it's a pad that you can put on the ground that your puppy can pee on and it won't make a mess. So it's like a giant plastic-backed paper towel. So it really gets you in the mood to get some good sperm uh, to test. So, you know, we went that route. Steve's great swimmers, strong. They're amazing. And then, gosh, I'm so bad at this. I got a test. I can't remember what it's called, but they inject dye pretty much into your fallopian tubes. You're awake and there's an x-ray and you can see the dye moving through. And it, it kind of does two things. So the way it was explained to me is it checks to make sure your, your tubes are all open. So like, you know, if you're dropping an egg, it's going where it needs to go. But it also kind of acts like a rotorooter. If you've got a blockage for any reason, when they, you know, inject this dye through, it can kind of clear out the system. And sometimes that's all it takes. Um, and I'm, 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 you know, punching myself. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, so I did that. And I had a very, very small blockage just in one tube. So it wouldn't have been something that was likely, you know, not going to allow me to get pregnant. But did that anyways and, you know, was reinvigorated with this hope like, okay, I got rotorooted, the little blockage was gone, maybe eggs were only coming down this side, the block side, whatever it was, you know, and it still didn't happen, you know, probably that month. I didn't wait much longer because there, there are other tests you can do. You can do a test to see how many eggs, like how many viable eggs you have. And there's a lot of controversy around its accuracy. You know, some doctors will swear by it and some are like, you can do it. It, it can be informative, but it's not really, you know, the, the Bible. So I went ahead and tried that. And um, if you guys have watched the show and followed my social media, that was when I had my appointment with uh, my first fertility doctor who told me, and Steve, live on camera with my production company, because that's how I roll, you ain't got no good eggs. You're never going to have a kid on your own. You need to think about um, an egg donor. And I think that's of, of note, just because I really want people to understand, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, it, it's out there for me. And I could have known the results before we actually filmed them. Um, and been able to process the information. But I've really lived my life and my husband's by proxy, poor guy, um, honestly and out in the open. And I knew so little about secondary infertility when I went into this that I really wanted to be able to share what I was learning as I was learning it. And it's so interesting when you start talking about something. Again, the whole purpose of my podcast is to talk about things because it gives other people permission to talk about them more. So as I was going through this process, talking about all the things we were doing, so many more people were like, oh my gosh, yeah, this, I went through this. What did you do next? Um, let's talk about this. And I think um, if you haven't gone through it, 
once you do, you realize how many people like friends, family, acquaintances, you know, that have actually gone through the same thing, whether it's primary infertility or secondary infertility, IUI, IVF, all these initials. Um, it's really, really common. So live on camera, that's, that's what he shared. He was like, you know, you've, your eggs aren't any good. Um, I think I skipped the IVF, IUI part. I'm trying to remember the order of operations. So fudge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I did IU, I did IVF before he said my eggs were no good. So I did the test and I had like little to no eggs. He was like, you, you, you don't have a whole lot going on in there. And because you don't, uh, I didn't know this. So I think a lot of people probably don't. You are born with the amount of eggs you will have your entire life. So based on how your cycle shakes out, how many eggs are released each cycle, that determines when they run out pretty much, which is wild to me. Like literally when you're a baby, your body has knows the amount of eggs it's going to have its whole life. And, you know, most people run out in, you know, their late 30s, their mid 40s. So this test was like, yeah, you've run out and you're 32. So let's not waste any more eggs on cycles that where we're just trying with sex, let's take a little more control of this. Let's do the IVF process. And, the, you know, in a nutshell, it's really let's, you know, shoot a bunch of hormones into these eggs. You know, like you want bigger chickens, jack them full of hormones, you get more product. That's pretty much what we're doing, people. Jacking me full of hormones, getting the eggs like as juicy, as big as possible, and then trying to pull that egg out and make sure the sperm gets to it in a Petri dish. And then ideally, the sperm gets to it. They they like each other. They stay alive for enough days for that to then go back in your body, and you ideally carry a baby full term. So went through that process. Um, and the IVF process is – I only had my experience, so I can't speak to everyone's. But going into it, my I think the stereotypical – because it's probably common, it's tough. Like your hormones are all over the place because you're injecting yourself with them. And because your hormones all over the place, maybe your emotions are a little bit more awry. You're also just having this mental challenge of I, my body's not doing what it was, you know, quote unquote made to do. And I'm having to do this medical stuff. And then your husband who's trying to support you, but is not in your shoes. Uh, just so many layers. And I had a really, you know, Steve was a great support system when I was doing it. Um, I didn't feel like I had as many of the the big hormonal swings um, that a lot of women do feel. Uh, so I think I was probably you know, lucky in that regard because it wasn't quite as challenging emotionally. The first shot, oh my God, I was the biggest baby. And you know, like record the first shot and I'm like, ow, that hurt. And then you're like 500 shots in and, and I ain't no thing. But I was super open with that as well. Um, you know, I have videos of Jack, he's, you know, probably like eight months sitting on the counter next to me with, you know, my vials and the different, you got to, you know, you, you know, you get the the needle and then you actually put the needle or you get the syringe, then you take the fake thing off, you put the real needle on, you mix the blank liquid with the juicy liquid, uh, you know, and Jack would just sit there and watch all of it. Um, and, you know, he was, he was under a year old. So that was kind of the process and we did one round of IVF. Um, break for a moment to talk about the finances. IVF is not, unfortunately, it's not a right. 
It is a privilege. And we were extremely lucky that my husband's insurance at the time covered a large portion of it. I think for a lot of people, it's about $30,000 out of pocket. And I think we ended up having to pay maybe like five or $6,000 after his insurance coverage. So huge blessing because it's not – it's just a different conversation. Talking about $30,000 to try to, you know, force something to happen versus – $5,000, $5,000, you know, $5,000 is, is it's just easier to find in the budget. But that was a real conversation for us because, you know, when we got to the point where, you know, you go in after the IVF, you go in like every couple days and they do an ultrasound and they check the egg and they're like, yeah, the egg looks good. The egg looks good. You're still doing injections. And at some point when they decide the egg is the best or the eggs are the best they're going to be, you do a shot that pretty much like activates them to release. So then you can go to what I what I lovingly referred to as the harvest. Um, and that is where, you know, you go in and they extract the egg from your body. They take it with Steve's sperm and pretty much it's, it sits in a, a Petri dish for a few days. Again, there is a debate about the three-day window or the five-day window. So some doctors wait three days to do the to put it back in the body. Some doctors wait five days. Um, my doctor waited five days, and the uh, layman's term, the, the what's going on is you want to make sure that the egg and the sperm come together and are starting to do stuff. You know, they're starting to dance, and sometimes they start to dance and then they stop, um, and sometimes they never dance. So. The idea is, okay, if they're dancing at day three, do we go through the trouble of putting them back or do we wait a few more days and then put them back if they're still dancing? Um, Some doctors feel like they have a better chance of continuing to dance if they go back into this more natural condition at day three. I believe the update mine on day three were they were doing stuff, but by day five when we were supposed to put them back in, they no longer were. And... That is when um, I had, you know, my husband and I sat down with my doctor and said, you know, this round failed. What you had, which this, it was really hard to hear. And it's not my doctor's fault. And I appreciate his candor and his blunt nature because no one wants to hear this 20-minute spiel about we've, you know, we've tried everything and it's not your fault. Like, what? What's not my fault? Okay, this is what it is this isn't going to work for you. We need to try something else. So it was it, it was it was that direct. You have no good eggs. Um we can try this again. The likelihood of success is slim to none. And I actually asked him. I said, "You know, what's what's slim to none? Are we talking 3% are we talking 30%?" Um because those are different. 30%, okay, maybe. Oh, maybe let's try again. Maybe let's find the money and go through the process. But his answer was, you know, it was it's the 3%. It's probably 0 to 3%. And that was a really hard pill to swallow, um, I think, for Steve and I. And, you know, as is life, you know, we had this appointment. We had driven um, separately because I had to go to work after. He had to go to work after. So, you know, kind of crying, hug say we're going to figure this out, go to our separate cars. And I'm sure he had his own process and and breakdown and whatever it was. But I just sat in my car and and bawled because it was this whole like life that I had planned, this whole, 
I built my entire house. I designed my floor plan around at least two kids. I, you know, there's two rooms that share this really cute bathroom and around the corner is the playroom where they can be together. And I mean, it was just so many things based on what I had thought my life was going to be. And much like when I found out, you know, I wasn't going to get pregnant magically again the second time, it was an adjustment period. And then the conversation, you know, that night, we, we went home this whole binder about egg donors, which is an amazing thing that people do. They provide an egg for you that they would put Steve's sperm with, and then they would put that in me. And it's just, it brings so many conversations to the surface that not only make you think about what you want as far as children, but really your values and how you put value on things and judge them. Like, and that's why I think the the question of adoption is so challenging. And the people that do it are, they're saints. They are. Um, and people do it for so many different reasons. But this idea of, do you look at it as, okay, then we're going to have this kid that's only half mine. It's it's Steve's, but it's not mine. Or is it mine? Because I carried it. And does any of that stuff matter? And if none of that matters, why not adopt a child that needs a home instead of going through this process? And I think the conversation is is a very personal one, and it's very different for everyone. And I think a lot of people place judgment on other people for what that conversation looks like or what they think that conversation looks like because there is a lot of shame, I think, put on people who go through this extensive process that costs a lot of money and a lot of time to make something happen that's you know forced by science when there are so many children who need good, loving homes. And those things, I mean, they're not mutually exclusive. They don't, it's just, it's just, it's so complicated. And if you haven't gone through it, please try to reserve judgment because while it was definitely part of our thought process, um, you know, the decision we landed on to not go with an egg donor um, or, and to not adopt is unique and it's our own. And Honestly, I I probably couldn't even sit here now and explain to you how exactly we got there. It's just what felt right for us and no one else can ever be us. So no one else is really going to understand that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have different stressors, some big, some small that we carry around and that really weigh us down. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to have a negative effect on us. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. For me, therapy has been so helpful, really learning those positive coping skills and to be the best version of myself. I know myself better and how to set the right boundaries that really work for me. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, then give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, and it's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash AF today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash AF. So what we decided to do, you know, we, we, we were looking through this egg donor information binder that was, it was pretty, pretty thick. And talking through all these conversations. Do do we want to do that? Are we, should we just be happy with one child? Because 
if you go through any kind of infertility treatment, that's the other thing you get a lot of. Like, you know, I couldn't even have one. You should feel lucky. Don't, you know, this is God's plan. You already have one. Why are you trying so hard again? And again, I just don't get it. I don't get the judgment. Like, I don't get why you care what I'm doing. Like, is your life not busy enough? Because my life is so busy. I do not have time to pay attention to what you are doing, let alone judge what you are doing, let alone tell you the judgment I feel about what you are doing. So let's just all be a little bit nicer, guys. So we talked through all that ad nauseum. And at some point along the conversation, I was, I, I think I mentioned, you know, like, let's just get a second opinion. That's what people do. You always get a second opinion. And maybe the other doctor is going to tell us the exact same thing. But let's get a second opinion before we make a decision. Let's get more informed before we make a decision. People get informed. Not necessarily about infertility, about anything before you make a decision, before you make a judgment. Search for information or shut up. So went to the other very well-known fertility specialist in Indiana. There are two. Um, There are a lot, but there are two that are like the guys. And I went to the second one. We sat in his office, explained the process. We'd sent all our labs, all our test results, everything that had happened. He had reviewed it. And sitting in his office, he said, pretty much, your first doctor wasn't, he's not wrong. You're not a great candidate. This isn't a great situation, and your odds of success aren't amazing. That being said, there, I mean, we can try. We can try other things. Um, and usually people start with IUI because it's a lesser costly and lesser intensive process, and then they go to IVF. We jump straight to IVF, A, because a portion of it, a large portion of it was covered financially, and B, because I didn't want to waste any more eggs with I I was just throwing everything at it. Like, we're going to go big. So we're not wasting any more eggs with cycles on on IUI. IUI, in a nutshell, is the turkey baster method. They take my husband's sperm. They take a turkey baster with a long, skinny tube attached to it, put it where it needs to go in me, and shoot the sperm in there to make sure it's getting where it should go, Um, which is enough for some people. Sometimes a woman's anatomy just is set up in a way where the sperm's not being able to get where it goes, what needs to go without someone directing it there. Um, there are also two different kinds of IUIs. There is unmedicated, which is legit, just the turkey baster, and there is medicated, where you go through some of the prep steps for IVF. You, you know, you're doing injections, you're making the egg as juicy as possible, you're getting it nice and ripe, and then you inject the sperm. I was at a point in my cycle where I was too far into it to be able to do a medicated IUI in this cycle. But he said, you know, we can we can take a shot at it if that's what you want um, and just try to do an IUI. We'd have to wait till your next cycle to start the medication in time to do um, an, an assisted IUI and really get your egg uh, nice and juicy. I'm, I'm so sorry if any of you guys don't like the word juicy. Now that I've said it a bunch of times, I'm really feeling some kind of way about it. We decide to try the unmedicated IUI Honestly, it just seemed like there wasn't really a reason not to. The reason not to would be finances, and that's a situation a lot of people are in. Um, I think a medicated IUI is probably around $5,000. Ours unmedicated, I don't, I can't remember. I'm not going to pretend I can, but it was maybe a couple thousand, $1,500, because really what the process looked like is I I continued to come in for um, ultrasounds to see what my egg was doing. 
to see when it was the most and best prepared to receive said sperm. And then you still do like the trigger shot that, uh, I don't know, drops the egg, like makes it go where it goes, where they put the sperm in it. Um, I clearly did not go to medical school, you guys. And you take the shot, you come into the office, I think it's 24 hours later. So whether that's a Saturday or Sunday, these people are in the office, they are there for you. And um, Steve's sperm is retrieved from him uh, manually on his own or with the, you know, you guys can have the assistance of a friend, a partner, whatever you need. And they literally put it in a beaker and say, hold this in your fist. And you're like, what? I just hold it. They're like, yes, it needs to stay at the temperature of your body. Hold this in your fist. Um, And that's what you do. I think they maybe like put it on a spinner to shake it up or something. I could just be making that up. And then they take this thing. It's like a pipette. It's, It's a little turkey baster with a long tube attached to it. And they put the sperm in that little baster and kind of, you know, work the tube however they did. I can't remember. Up to where it goes in me. Inject. Squeeze the sperm out. And then they're like, now just lay there. Like, you know, let gravity work. So you're literally laying kind of like at a at a declined angle, chilling for 20 minutes. Um, and there was like a, a piece of paper with like directions that were just so funny. Oh, my God, I'm going to have to find this and put it in the show notes. But it was like, you know, the directions afterwards. It was just so funny because it was about like sex and like the position or staying in a decline. I don't know, something silly that felt very like a given, but clearly wasn't, or they wouldn't have need to print it out of a paper telling you what to do. Um, so that's what you do. And then you wait. And uh, I, when did, oh, so you wait. Um, they tell you to take the pregnancy test at a certain, a certain amount of time after that, you know, because it, it takes that long for it, it to show up chemically in your body. And you know, I don't know if anyone actually waits <laughs> the allotted amount of time, but I, uh, it was like a, it was easily like four or five days before I was supposed to do it. And I had, I wish I had bought stock and pregnancy tests again. I had taken a pregnancy test that morning and I'd probably taken one the last three mornings, honestly. And I was like, is that, I swear to God, there's a line there, like the way the lines are supposed to be. And I was like, you know, and if you if you look at it too long, if you let it sit too long, you can get a false positive too. Um, it does weird stuff. So that had happened that morning. And I was like, I I, I feel like I got to do this again today. And I, I was, you know, we're filming pretty much full time and we have like crew lunch. We all eat lunch together so no one disappears and wanders off. And we were going to a local brewery for lunch and I stopped at a gas station and I got a pregnancy test. And before lunch, I went into the bathroom and I'm, I'm recording, waiting for to see if a line appears, and it does. There is a line. It is for sure a line. And I'm like, you've got to be effing kidding me. Like, no way. And I go out, and again, how many times I have to say my poor husband in life. He's not been the first to know I was pregnant either time. I My producer was walking in, and I, I'm walking out because I'm like going to find him. and. I say, I just took a test. I'm pregnant. You have an hour. You have lunch to figure out 
how you want me to tell Steve if you want it on camera or like to get cameras. I'm telling him. So y'all got to figure it out. He's like, what? Hey, I don't know what to do with my hands. What's happening? You're pregnant. Oh my God, this is amazing. What do we do? And so we're like trying to figure out how to get Steve on camera without it being like weird. And we do these things, you know, they're called pickups, which is kind of like after the fact, if you need to answer a question, whatever. And so I'm texting Steve and I'm like, boo, I'm so sorry. I know this is last minute. I try to respect your schedule. We have to do a morning beat pickup at the house after lunch. Like, they're, they're asking for it. They need it now. And he's so annoyed because I'm just really completely exploding his day saying we need to film a quick scene at home. And he, of course, he agrees begrudgingly. So he's kind of cranky about it. Like he's doing it, but not – you can tell he's upset. And I, I think we're like – I was making like overnight oats. Like because I'm like, I need to do something with my hands. What are we doing in the background? And Jack's sitting on the counter and uh, – I I think I was just like, I was rambling. I was talking about stupid overnight oats or something. And I was just like, I'm pregnant. And he was like, what? And I was like, I'm pregnant. I took a test. I'm pregnant. <laughs> and he was like, are, are you, oh my God. Like, I, I don't know if he thought, like me processing it. It was like, you know, he was processing at that time. And so, you know, we got it all on camera, me telling him, which is, you know, so magical to have long-term. Um, and and that was that was not the end. In my head, that was the end. It worked. I'm pregnant. We got our our miracle, our gift from God, our good karma, like whatever you want to call it. I got it. And I can control the universe. And this this is all making sense again. But you go to your doctor and they do an ultrasound in my head to hear the heartbeat. You do your first ultrasound. It's exciting. You're going to hear the heartbeat. And of course, I invited the whole um, camera crew to come along because this is the next big exciting step. Steve and I drove together. You know, we're holding hands on the way up to the north side. It's like a 45-minute drive. And I can't remember what he said, but he said something that for the first time in eight weeks made me realize that this wasn't to go hear the heartbeat. This was to go see if there was a heartbeat. And... I immediately, like my stress reaction is I sweat. I immediately started sweating and was just white knuckling his hand and the door handle. Like, how did this never cross my mind? How did I do this to myself? How did I set this up where I have not only the, you know, the 10 people that are going to be in the room to see if my baby is alive, I planned on sharing it live with the whole world. And Having this conversation out loud with Steve and just like, Jesus, oh my God, uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't, my brain has been broken. And we talk about, you know, do, do we do this? And I get into the actual uh, like facility, all the production crews there. And I, and I come in and I was like, I didn't realize till five minutes ago that I might not be pregnant anymore. And they're all like, yeah, no, like this is a big deal. And, and so everyone realized it except me, everyone. Failure was not an option, which I think that mentality has gotten me so far in life. With it not being an option, it's just the only the only option is figuring out and succeeding. But I have zero control here. And my doctor had clearly thought about it because he requested Steve and I come back into his office um, without the cameras and said, you know, you might not be pregnant. And I'm like, I know. Turns out that might be true. Didn't realize that till five minutes ago. And he's like, so 
what we can do is do an ultrasound first and see, and then you can, you know, you can, you can film it because this is a, this is a big thing and it's a big thing in a positive and really negative, sad way if you're not. And pretty quickly, I mean, Steve and I have kind of always been on the same page. I said, you know, this is my thought process. If we go in and do this ahead of time and I'm pregnant, that's so amazing and that's so special and I'm going to be so happy and I'm going to want it on camera and I'm going to have to fake it on camera. Fake that joy and happiness. And I'm not an actress, y'all. I'm not I'm not good at it. And the other option is we go in without the cameras, we do the ultrasound and I'm not pregnant. And my world is devastated and my husband's world is devastated and am I just not going to share that? The whole point of this the, being on the show, having the platform, doing the podcast is to share it all and to give people the real whole story. So then I'm just going to have to act sad on camera. And it's easier to act happy than it is sad. Like, not just sad, like, I mean, complete, I don't even know because I didn't have to feel it. But that was my, that was my thought process. And it happened very quickly. And I said, are you on the same page with me, babe? And he was like, yes, whatever you want to do, I support you. So we all headed in. You know, the sound guy, I think, was like outside the door. It was just the ultrasound tech. Um, and then one of the girls on our team, Taylor, who's just, she's the most amazing human. She was in the room for most of the big moments. She was in the room when my doctor told me I would never be able to have my own kid. Poor thing, just sitting in a corner crying. And I think she was in the room. I can't remember this time. But, you know, it was just a couple of us. And it takes a minute. It takes a minute to find the heartbeat. And then every ultrasound after that, it takes a minute. And it's like panic-inducing every time, particularly when you have that like that new ultrasound tech that's like, I can't find it, but I'm new, so let me go get someone. Uh, are you just faking me out because you, it, you can't find it because it doesn't exist? Or are you really just new? Because sometimes they're just new and they can't find it. So that, that's what's happening. And then all of a sudden, there was a heartbeat. And I think like everyone had been holding their breath and like finally let out an exhale. And I was like, okay, there's a heartbeat. This is amazing. And that was Charlie. And the, you know, the rest is kind of history. There were those moments of, of panic when <laughs> you got that new ultrasound tech. But other than that, it went incredibly normal. Two funny stories. Well, the first one's not really funny. It's kind of upsetting, but it leads to a funny story. Um, we did the 11-week blood test um, to find out the gender. So at 20 weeks, they can see the gender usually. At 11 weeks, the blood supply um, of the baby and of the mom are separated enough that you can get baby blood and figure out if it's a boy or a girl. So again, control freak, wanted to know right away. We did the blood test with Jack and I was, I knew I was going to be getting a call saying, you've got a boy or you've got a girl. And I was in the middle of a reveal and I see the phone ring and I was like, you guys, I got to take this. Cause again, in my head, it was just, it's a boy or a girl. Like both things are happy and I get to come back and I'm like, you know, announce the sex or not. I don't know. Be like, I know. And I can't tell you guys. So I go in, you know, I pop into a bathroom to take the call and the conversation goes something like this. It's a boy. Um, and we know it's a boy because something, an abnormality came back on his genetic screening and he has Kleinfelter syndrome and Kleinfelter syndrome is where, um, they have, uh, uh two female chromosomes 
and start explaining to me in a nutshell what that means. And I'm in the bathroom panicking. So it's not like it's a boy, it's exciting. I have to tell you it's a boy because only boys have this genetic disorder. And the gist of it is you can develop uh, more breast tissue, um, more uh, curvy hips, so more like feminine qualities. Um, They are uh, genetically uh, predispositioned to be very tall, to have um, some other, you know, small things that are of issue. But the biggest thing is they are sterile. They will never be able to have children. I, 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 <laughs> I was like, okay, I, we have one room left on this reveal and there are other humans here that, so I come out and I was like, and all I said was, it's not okay. I'm not okay. We need to finish this and I need to go. Warmer, sunnier days are calling and you can fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. With delicious options from breakfast to dessert, you can stay fueled all day long with easy and nutritious options. Plus, with premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, Factor meals are a real treat. I love the convenience and the variation of Factor's different meal preferences. Whether it's managing calories, maximizing protein, or avoiding meat, crush your goals this May with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash MinaAF50 and use code MinaAF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code MinaAF50 at factormeals.com slash MinaAF50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And everyone was like, you know, started saying we can, I was like, no. I'm going to put my big girl pants on for five minutes. We need to finish this and I need to go. And I called Steve and I was like, I need you to come here. I'll be done in five minutes. And we did. And probably none of you, apparently maybe I am a good actress. Uh, you know, uh, he he walked in and I was like, and I, I'm sure he was terrified because he could see something terribly wrong on my face. And I'm like, we need to go out to the car. And we get in the car, shut the door. And I think the first thing out of his mouth was like, I didn't do anything. And I... <laughs> He thought he was in trouble. And I tell him what the doctor told me. Um, and we are already Googling um, information about Kleinfelters, um, you know, different um, benchmarks at ages, different problems, support groups for children with Kleinfelters, support groups for parents with children with Kleinfelters. Because, you, you know, kids are mean anyways. Like my son is going to have maybe have breasts and hips. And even after that, they're not going to care for a long time, but he's going to be sterile and he's never going to be able to make his own family in the way that he's not going to have the choice to make it in this way. He can make it a million other ways. And we go home, I think two hours passed and I get a phone call and it's like, oh my God, we're so sorry. He does not have Kleinfelters. He has Jacob syndrome, which is two male chromosomes, not two female 
And these are the things that you're going to have to um, understand and manage. And the biggest thing is they are significantly taller than other children. Between four and six, they grow exponentially more than their peers and their average height is 6'4". They experience higher incidence of adolescent acne more aggressively. And they may experience higher incidence of ADHD, which boys tend to anyways. And I'm like, that's it? My boy's going to play basketball? Okay, cool. We're cool? Are you kidding me? <sighs> Not sure how that mistake was made. But either of them, it's it's no fault of our own. It is a completely weird, uh, pretty much when the DNA is multiplying, something stuck together and then it kept multiplying wrong. That's all that happens. And it's completely out of anyone's control and it's incredibly rare. So that's the not funny part of the story. The funny part of the story is once I'm pregnant with Charlie, we do the test at week 11 and I'm waiting to know the sex and there's a portal, you know, there's all these health portals and the information was supposed to be dropped into the portal on Friday and I was supposed to be called in and told the information. And, you know, it, it's, it's, I was like, I think it was Monday and no one had, no, no one had called me. And I'm like, well, maybe it dropped in late Friday. And I'm, so I log into the portal and I check and I'm like, oh my God, the results are here. You've got to be kidding. We're having another boy and he has Kleinfelters. Like, what are the odds? This is crazy. And Steve and I had like agreed to look together. So I'm like, do I tell him? Do I like pretend I didn't check and wait for the call? And uh, Jack and I are like on a walk and I'm recording myself telling Jack that he's going to have a little brother. I have also in this time, um, Amazon purchased three different, uh, like a tank top, a shirt and a jacket or a sweatshirt for Steve that say, like mine say boy mom and his says something about him having a little brother. Uh, and then <laughs> I, uh, I think I, I told Steve, I admitted, I was like, babe, I peaked. Um, we're having a boy and he has Kleinfelters. Like the odds of this are one in 10 billion. And then I get a phone call. <laughs> later in the day from the doctor's office and they're like, we have the results. I was like, I know I checked. How crazy is this? Like literally, can you tell me what the odds are? And they're like, huh? And I'm like, that we would have another boy and he would also have Kleinfelters. And they're like, girl, I don't know what you're talking about. You're having a girl. Like, what are you talking about? The results just got put in like 10 minutes ago. And I was like, oh God. I uh, I announced to my whole family and bought merch for being a boy mom exclusively. So um, yeah, that that's that's the whole story. Steve and I are done having kids. We you know talked through options. I've been on birth control since I was seventeen, and while there are benefits um, as far as significantly reducing ovarian cancer. Um, if you don't need to be on it, uh, it's just better for your body not to be having more drugs. So um, Steve ended up getting a vasectomy, which for men is a very simple procedure. Like you walk in, you're awake, you kind of drop trow and they give you some laughing gas and then, you know, your sperm doesn't, it's not active anymore. And that's about it. Ice pack, chill for a couple days, which can be reversed 100%. Um, but again, if you didn't know yet, I'm a control freak and a planner. And I, I was done. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tempt fate. I'm not going to like, there are parents out there that are humans that I am not, that I do not have the strength to deal with some of the things that can come with having a child at an older age. And I can't even begin to understand how amazing those humans are. And I know myself and 
I, I'm just terrified that I'm not one of those humans. So I'm like, we're going to call it quits while we're ahead. And recently, um, I actually had an ablation, which is um, where they, they pretty much they just laser your insides. So um, they, it's burned. So you don't have a period anymore. Um, and it's done for a handful of reasons. But my period after being on birth control for so long and then just being pregnant um, was my what what was apparently my normal period I, I don't know how don't know how I was alive every month and it doesn't make everyone's period stop just you know a PSA there but so I I had that done and they typically won't do it for you unless you're 35 years or older because it will make it impossible for you to have um, kids moving forward uh, so we are all done we have our two amazing babies that are now four and a half and two and a half and not really babies anymore and that was the process. Um, and I learned so much from it. Um, and I hope other people learn so much from me sharing it because, you know, that is one of my skill sets, uh, problems, gifts, I don't know, is I, I am an open book. Um, I can handle people judging me, saying nasty things if it's going to make it easier for a couple other people. And I got hundreds probably thousands, like in the tens of thousands at this point of messages. I still get messages. I got one last night saying, you know, I just watched the episode with your IVF story. I looked at your social media stories and just thank you so much. Um, so uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And it really is true. I will say it again. Talking about things, putting them out in the open, normalizing them, even if it's something that you don't feel is normal, gives other people permission to, to talk about it. And whether you think it's normal or not, whatever the thing is, is happening and it's happening for them and probably a lot of other people. So let's talk about it. And that's what we do on Mina AF. So we're going to end with a question from the mailbox from Hannah. Hi, Mina. Fellow redheaded mom of two here. And my question is mainly how as a parent of two littles, my boys are a fresh two and nine months old. So I'm in the thick of it. How as a parent, are you able to balance raising your children and still following your passions in life? I think that's a really good question. And honestly, one I get asked a lot. Um, one, my husband gets a little peeved that he doesn't get asked ever. Um, because in our household, it is, a, it is very, um, I'm not going to say balanced because everyone finds their own balance, but it, it, it is shared actually fairly 50-50 most of, most, of, most of the jobs, particularly the parenting. Um, and the first thing I want to say it is, is that it's with so much help. Um, I have amazing friends. I have amazing family. Um, the first nanny we had, Hannah, it was a godsend um, and is still a member of our family even though she moved back home. Uh, Meg, who we have now, is will always be a member of our family. And those were two people who still who loved and love my children. I'm not going to say as if they were own because they don't know that love yet. They don't have him yet. But as good as they know, as if they were their own. And, you know, it's just having those people uh, really does make a difference. Um, single moms, single dads, single parents of any kind are the superheroes of the universe. But I think the biggest thing for all of us is getting over the guilt of doing what we want. Because even saying it sounds kind of shitty, like I'm going to do what I want. And it's not in a bad way. And I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but it's not wrong. Like you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't give other people 
support and love and compassion and anything if you don't have it? And how do you get it? Is it being a stay-at-home parent? Is it um, working a part-time job? Is it volunteering, um, you know, 10 hours a week? Is it working full-time? Whatever it is that fills you is what you should do because that's going to make you the best version of yourself. So for me, for Steve, it's working. If I was a stay-at-home mom, my kids would get more time, but they would get a lesser human. You know, I'm not going to say one's better or the other, but that's, this is what works for us. And my children are so loved and they know they're so loved. Um, and as long as they will never question that, I, I don't need to change anything. But it is hard because, you know, you have so many eyes on you and people judging everything you do. And it's hard not to care. And it's hard not to let it affect you. And while I'm definitely probably better at it than a lot of people, it's taken a lot of practice, a lot of, a lot of nasty shit. But you just kind of got to put it in the not my problem box and do what makes you happy as long as it's not not even not hurting anyone else, but you know, creating the life you want for you and for the people that you care about having the life you want them to have. So um, I think it depends what balance looks like for you, to be honest, um, whether you know, you do want to stay at home with the kids or your husband stays at home with the kids or you have childcare or daycare um, or whatever that is. That being said, it also takes a certain amount of effort because there are only so many hours in the day. And one of the things that helps me maintain balance is exercising regularly. And I know I will not do it at the end of the day. And my day with my with other humans that it matters their days need to start. Jack is at school at between 7.30 and 8. And I take him. And I love taking him. I could make a different choice. And I could get up later and I could work out. Someone else could take him to school. But that is where I find balance. I love that time. So I get up at 5.30 and I work out. And it blows. Let me tell you. Don't like it. It's early. I, I, I love my sleep. I would sleep all day. I can nap anywhere. But that's what gives me balance because there's been periods where I haven't worked out and it not only affects me physically, but it really affects me like mentally and emotionally. Um, it's a good outlet for me and, and it, it is, you know, scientifically proven that it does help your mood, your mental health, all those things, getting sunlight earlier in the morning, all these things help your circadian rhythm, um, just your overall like mental health. So I add extra hours to my day when, you know, other people might be sleeping. And maybe that looks for you like, you know, you stay up late after the kids go to bed. I don't. I go to bed very early. I mean, as soon as the kids go to bed, Steve and I are in bed. But I guess I uh, the, all that to say, I don't want anyone to think it's just easy. Um, it's not. And it's a recurring conversation. We go back to it at least every couple months. Is this working? Steve and I just had the conversation recently because the mornings have been kind of hectic. And he said, you know, I know you love taking Jack to school. Um, I like it as well. And I don't want to take that from you. But would it be helpful if we alternate weeks? And I was like, you know what? It, it might be. And I think it also helps us appreciate what the other one is doing. Because, you know, Steve's just at home chilling. I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he's putting the dishes away from last night and, you know, changing Charlie's diaper whenever she woke up and he's getting some work done. And so, you know, I had that time last week because he took Jack and I was like, oh, this is really productive time for me. So 
it's not something that you're going to figure out once and then it's going to work forever. You need to keep going back to it. You need to keep having conversations with yourself, the people involved in the balance, and it's going to it's just going to keep changing. So, don't be too hard on yourself and try not to give an f what other people think. Care about what you think, care about the people you care about think, and beyond that, just try to block it out because um it doesn't matter. It's all just noise. So, that is actually uh, how we're going to wrap out this episode of Mina AF. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I hope, uh, despite the fact that a lot of my medical terminology was significantly lacking, um, it was still educational for you. If you know someone, if you have a friend that's going through this and want to support them, I think the best thing you can do is to say, hey, I did a bunch of research and this is tough probably. I'm really sorry. I don't know if there's anything I can do, but if there is, let me know. And that's it. That'd be nice. That's helpful. Um, I think for anyone going through something challenging that you can't relate to. But I think a lot of people try to find common ground, which is normal to say, you know, this happened to me. I get what I get what you're going through. Um, but I think in a lot of cases, while that's well-intentioned, um, it doesn't really have the intended effect. So just saying, you know, I, I don't think I can fully understand that, but I do love you and I care about you. So I think about you. Let me know what I can do if there is anything. If not, just, you know, code word, bad day, pineapple. I'm hormonal because I'm going through IVF, whatever it is. But other than that, um, great question, Hannah. You guys, I want more questions, the mean questions, the annoying questions, the ones you don't think you should ask, the ones you wouldn't say to my face, whatever the question. Um, go to the link in the show notes, leave it in the mailbox, and let's talk about it. Let's suss it out. Um, and thank you again so much for listening this week, you guys. This is Mina AF. See you next Tuesday. <laughs>